Well, it is good to be here today, and uh, hopefully our live stream will work this morning. I don't know. Uh, last week it was kind of messed up, but uh, that's the way it is. But it is good to be here today. Enjoy the good singing we've already had, and glad to have those that are here, those watching online. And we are still in our sermon series in the book of John. Well, we've only got started. This is part nine of our sermon series through the Gospel of John. And we're still in chapter one, and uh, hopefully, Lord willing, we'll finish it up in two weeks from now. We'll finish this chapter, uh, perhaps. We'll see. But uh, this morning, we're going to look at John chapter one, verses 43 through 45. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 45, and I've titled the message this morning, The Calling of Philip. The Calling of Philip. We'll go ahead and read our text, John chapter 1, starting with verse 43. And here the Bible says, The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word this morning. Praying now you'll help us as we try to preach, Lord, keep us out of the flesh and in your word, and may your spirit just do a mighty work in our hearts today, for it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, last week we looked at verses 15 through 42, and it started the calling of Jesus' disciples. Now, not until you get in the book of Matthew do we see the, the uh, I guess, the summation of the calling of the disciples as it lists them all down there by name. But this is the first interactions that Jesus has with those whom he would call to be his disciples, and also these men were considered apostles, one who was sent. Is that what that word means? A disciple is one who learns. And so an apostle is one who sent. Jesus sends these men out to share the gospel. And so these men are those whom Jesus is going to trust. Uh, there'll be 12 in, in whom Jesus will call. This one is, I guess, the um, I think in the list when you see them in the synoptics, he's usually listed maybe fifth or something like that. I can't re recall. But uh, we know he's already called Andrew and uh, Peter and probably John the Apostle, and perhaps his brother James as well. But uh, here we, we find him calling this man Philip. And so we pick up in our verse this morning there in verse 43. It says, The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now, these events occur on the fourth day after John the Baptist has been being questioned by those Jewish uh, religious leaders who had been sent out to ask him who he was, what he's doing, who gave him the authority. This is the fourth day following all of that. And Jesus now is traveling. He's already went to the place where he's been staying, and that's where he brought Andrew and the other uh, disciple, whom was not named, but probably John. Uh, that's where he brought them. And then Andrew, the Bible says, went and told his brother Simon, Peter, and he came back, and Jesus called him Cephas, a stone. And so this picks up the next day after all that happened. And um, uh, here in verse 43, we, we find Jesus is heading toward Galilee. Now, Galilee is where he's going to begin his earthly ministry. That's where it all starts at. So he's baptized over there in the Jordan in the wilderness, and then he travels into Galilee, 
and uh, begins the earthly ministry. Now, John does not record the temptation of Jesus like the synoptics do. Uh, so we know during the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, immediately following his baptism, he went into the wilderness to be tempted, and that was 40 days and 40 nights. There's been a considerable amount of time passed since Jesus' baptism and this beginning of his earthly ministry. So uh, we don't know exactly how long, but we do know it's been uh, probably at least two months, uh, perhaps more. And so a considerable amount of time has passed uh, since he's been baptized and began this ministry. It says there in that verse 43, And findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now, last week, if you remember, uh, Andrew and the other disciple, whom was probably John, were the ones following Jesus. Uh, they were disciples of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist told them, the one that, uh, here's the Lamb of God, the one that taketh away the sin of the world. And they began following him. Here we see Jesus goes out on purpose to find, seek out this man, Philip. And by the way, Philip is the first one and only one in whom it says he called as a disciple. But here it says, uh, he commands Philip to follow me. Follow me. Uh, listen, whether you went and sought Christ, maybe you were looking for answers for your life, or uh, there was something inside of you drawing you to seek after Jesus Christ, or whether just one day you were sitting in a church service, your heart was convicted, and you believed in the Lord Jesus, however way it happened to you, whether you were out in the yard, you were in your bed, or in your car, on the beach, in the mountains, wherever it was that took place where you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, however it happened, it was all because of the sovereign drawing of God. God draws those in whom he's going to save. And so it doesn't matter if you went to seek him or if he come and found you. However it was, it's all instigated by God the Father. In fact, the Bible tells us in John chapter 6 and verse 44, in the words of Jesus, Jesus says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So we see that if you're going to be drawn to God for salvation, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because God the Father has drawn you to do so. It's his sovereign will. Now, we're, we're not Calvinist here. Uh, certainly not. We believe that anybody can be saved, regardless whether uh, what the Calvinists may, may say. But I do believe that every man is saved because God the Father has drawn him to his son, Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. Again, Jesus says this, John 15, 16. He says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He's speaking to the disciples there. And so he tells them all, you didn't choose me, I chose you. So despite Andrew and the other disciple coming and following him to ask him questions, it's because God drew them to do so. All right, look at verse 44 back in our text, John 1 and 44. Now Philip was a Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Okay, so this entire message this morning is centered upon the calling of Philip as a disciple of Jesus. I was going to cover the rest of the chapter this morning, and it just got too big, and uh, I had to cut it off somewhere, and so uh, I prayed about it, and so I believe it's the Lord's will. We just focus on these four verses, three verses, which deals with the calling of Philip 
And we're going to talk about a lot of things about Philip as we continue. Um, I listen to messages all the time. I, I go to sleep with sermon audio in my ear, and uh, I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes, and I'll choose another sermon. and I'll, So I listen to sermons constantly, at night, during the day, uh, on the weekends, at work, uh, wherever it is. I listen to a lot of sermons. And I was listening to this one preacher uh, preach on John chapter 1, verse 43, The Calling of Philip. And he said some, some things. He said, Philip is a very uninspiring individual. And there's a lot of great men in the Bible, but Philip is not one of them. And that kind of bothered me. I know Philip has his flaws. He sometimes is found to be weak in the faith. It seems that he can't really make up his mind sometimes when he needs to. And so I know he has his flaws, but to say that there is nothing great about him, uh, he also said that there's nothing great about this man that I can find. And so I have to disagree with this uh, this preacher, and he's not the only one. There's numerous people out there that want to really put down the apostle Philip and claim that he is really unworthy to be you know praised or unworthy to be anything. And perhaps you've never even considered Philip much. I mean, there's not a lot said about him in the Bible. The synoptics doesn't mention him at all except by name during the list of the disciples. They don't say anything about what he's done or what he's thinking or what he said or anything like that. Only the Gospel of John is the one that gives us details about this man, Philip. And it's not a whole lot, but it's enough to understand why Jesus called him to be one of his apostles. Uh, so while he may be obscure in the scriptures, we do find some things. And with that being said, I want us to examine this calling of Philip uh, by Jesus and why he chose him to be an apostle. So first of all, there are four different Philips mentioned in the Bible. Philip the Tetrarch, who is the son of Herod the Great, uh, and uh, Herod the Great's wife at that time, Cleopatra. You'll find in Luke 3 and 1, uh, that Philip is mentioned. Uh, the city of Caesarea Philippi is actually named after him. Uh, Caesarea to honor Tiberius Caesar, and Philippi to honor himself. So he named that city. I don't remember what the, the original name was, it, but when he came and conquered it and took over, he renamed it to Caesarea Philippi. Uh, there was a second Philip mentioned, and he's another son of Herod the Great. He had two different sons named Philip by two different wives. And so this other wife that he had, uh, Miriam, I believe is how you pronounce her name. It's M-A-R-I-A-M-N-E. Um, they had a son named Philip as well, and he's mentioned in Matthew 14 and 3. Now, there's two other disciples mentioned in the Bible. There are two other Philips, I'm sorry. Two other Philips. One is the one we're talking about today, the disciple, the apostle, this one whom Jesus called. The other one is Philip the Evangelist, whom we read about in the book of Acts. Now, a lot of people get those two confused and believe that Philip the Evangelist was also Philip the Disciple, that when the, the apostles were there and the church began and they were needing help, that Philip was the one they called to come and, and wait on the tables. That's not true. It's, he's not the same man. It's two different men. Philip the Evangelist was a, one of the first so-called deacons that was called to wait on tables. The apostles didn't have time to do that. Remember, they wanted to spend their time in prayer and study. And so Philip was not the one that was called to be a deacon. In fact, Philip went on to be an evangelist, or not an evangelist, but a, I guess you could call him an evangelist, but more of a missionary type. 
which the Bible doesn't talk about. We'll talk about that before we get finished. But So four Philips mentioned. Two of Herod the Great's sons, Philip the Disciple, and Philip the Evangelist. Now we're talking about Philip the Disciple today. Um, the name Philip is interesting. Does anybody know what it means? One who loves horses. <laughs> a lover of horses is what the name Philip means. Uh, so Philip's name is a Greek name. It's not a Hebrew name. We know he probably had a Hebrew name because all the disciples were Jews. And so he most likely had a Jewish or Hebrew name, but we're not told what it is in the scripture. His Greek name is Philip, and people know him by that, and they know that he is a, a Greek. Because when the Greeks come to seek out Jesus, the person they go to, the book of John tells us this, they go to Philip and say, we want to see Jesus. They go to him. They don't go to somebody else. You think they went to Peter. I mean, he's usually the mouthpiece of the disciples, you know. But it seems like Philip had a special role with the disciples that perhaps he was some kind of administrator or someone who maybe organized things. And uh, But he was known by the Greeks as being another Greek, Philip. Probably why they went to him. Now, as we mentioned, Philip was the first disciple which Jesus sought out and told to follow him. Uh we aren't told what Philip's occupation is. Uh, we just surmise that perhaps with the disciples he was a, some kind of organizer or something, but we don't know. But it's highly likely he too was a fisherman. Uh, because the Bible tells us he was from the same city there, Bethsaida, as Peter and Andrew. Now, the city, the, the word Bethsaida means house of fish. It is a fishing port town. And so most of the men there probably were fishermen. They spent their time out on the waters with their nets, drawing. They didn't stand out there with a Zebco rod and reel and cast it and reel in. They didn't have those. They had nets. And so they would go out in their boats, they'd drop their nets, and they'd haul them in, and they'd take them to the shore. And then that's where they would sell them in the marketplace and, and such. And so it's highly likely that Philip, too, was a fisherman. It says he was from the same city, Bethsaida, as uh, Peter and Andrew. And uh, I think it's also fair to, to probably think that Peter and Andrew were probably the ones that first told Philip about who Jesus was. Now, Philip was most likely a disciple of John the Baptist as well, so he probably heard from him, the, the one that take away the sin, the, the Lamb of God. But we know that with, with uh, Peter and Andrew being the first called disciples, living in the same town with Philip, probably friends, probably fishing mates, maybe... Uh, maybe Philip worked with uh, the sons of Zebedee there on the ships that their father owned. Uh, but whatever it was, I believe it's probably fair to say that they probably said, hey, we found the Messiah, we, this Jesus of Nazareth, you know, he's the son of Joseph, uh, the carpenter. Uh, we found him. And so probably he heard about Jesus that way. And I believe that's why he had no problem just following Jesus when Jesus said, follow me. Uh, Philip was, as we can tell, intellectual. He had smarts. He wasn't dumb. Um, he was sometimes weak in the faith, which, by the way, can be said about all the disciples. Uh, this is one of the reasons a lot of people have bad things to say about him. Now, let me give you an instance. In John chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, um, we find the, the instance where Jesus is out there with a multitude of people and it's beginning to get late. They've not ate. They're hungry, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to feed all these people. Well, Jesus knows how he's going to feed these people already. 
But he's going to ask Philip about it. Look at John chapter 6, verse 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Which shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. <laughs> All right, now we know that, of course, uh, one spoke up and said, no, well, there's a lad here, he's got fishes and bread. But here we find that Jesus, the Bible says, was testing Philip because Jesus already knew what he was going to do and how he was going to feed the people, but he wanted to hear it from Philip's mouth. Philip, what do you think? Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? So it's obvious Philip had something to do with the organization of things. Uh, perhaps when they had a meeting or a, a large group of people that he was the one in charge saying, okay, now you people sit over here and you 20 over here and all the men in this row, all you women sit back there, whatever. He was probably some kind of organizer. He knew how much money they had in the treasury. We know that uh, uh, Judas was the treasurer. But it looks like uh, Philip could have been the bean counter. He might have been the one, you know, the accountant. Uh, because he knew how much money they had because he says 200 penny worth. That's probably all they had. And he said, that's not enough. We, that, no way we can feed this many people. It's not sufficient for them. So he's very, um, he's intellectual but analytical. And uh, I can understand that kind of thinking. He's probably a real black and white type of guy. You know, some people work in the gray areas. I know a lot of people like that. You know, well, if it don't work, we'll just you know do this. No, he's one of those people who said, this is how it works, and that's the only way it can work, and it can't be done any other way. I'm a lot like that. I have those ideas. I know how something should be, and it's going to happen that way. <laughs> I believe that Philip's kind of like that. He'd already counted up in his head. He's already looked at the crowd, started counting how many they had. There was 5,000 men. We don't have any women and children were there. There could have been 20,000 people there that day. We don't have any idea. The Bible only tells us about the 5,000 men that were there. And so he's already looked on this crowd and said, there is absolutely no way we've got enough money in the treasury to go and buy bread to feed all these people to be satisfied. You see, he didn't have the faith. He had seen Jesus turn water into wine. He had seen Jesus perform all kinds of miracles, healing in, in many things by this point. But yet he didn't have that faith to, to understand and, and know immediately, well, Jesus, you know, you can feed these people. That's the, you turn water into wine, you can turn this, you know, dirt into bread or whatever if you want to. He didn't have that kind of faith. Um, I don't believe any of these disciples had quite that faith. The one that brought the lad, perhaps maybe he did. Or was he thinking, well, you know, we can feed maybe the important people. There's this boy with what, what he's got. But... Uh, even after seeing all the, the miracles of Jesus, it didn't seem like it was in the realm of possibilities to Philip that Jesus could feed all these people. Now, another reason that a lot of people speak harshly of Philip is because of what he said to Jesus. When Jesus, they met up there in the upper room, Jesus told them what was going to betray him. Uh, they had the Lord's Supper, washed feet, and then they went out, uh, went out and... Uh, uh, Jesus began talking to him, John chapter 14, and he starts telling him, you know, I'm, I'm going to go away. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place uh, for you, and if I go to prepare a place, I will return again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And then the question started happening. Thomas said unto them, 
or, or Jesus said, uh, I am whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to them, Lord, we know not whether thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you'd know me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Now, this is where Philip gets, gets a black eye. Verse 6, or I'm sorry, verse 8 of John 14, Philip says something. He says, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Now, listen to what Jesus says back to him. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. So Jesus kind of gives Philip a, a little rebuke there. You know, you say, well, wait a minute, Philip. You mean to tell me all this time we've been together and you don't know me? You don't understand? You want to see the Father? And so Jesus had revealed the Father to the disciples through, and like Jesus said, even if you, you can't understand that, at least by the miracles, can you not see? And so the entire time Jesus had been with them, he's been revealing the Father to them through himself. Now, whether Philip was expecting a physical manifestation of the Father, which I believe to be the case, I believe he was wanting Jesus or wanting to say to Jesus, Jesus, if you'll make the Father appear right here, that'll be fine for us. Then we'll be okay. And notice that Philip didn't say, if you'll let me see the Father, then I'll be okay. No, he said, us. Let us. Let us. And so I believe he's talking or speaking for the entire crowd of disciples. I believe they all felt the same way. There wasn't one of them spoke up and said, shut up, Philip. Don't you know that he is a father? Don't you, don't you understand? They didn't, none of them say that. They're all probably sitting there thinking, oh, boy, I'm glad he asked because I didn't want to do it. He, but Philip said, Lord, show us the father and it sufficeth us. And so Jesus kind of rebuked him there. Um, before you want to give Philip a hard time, though, I believe it's safe to say that any of us, if we had been there that day, we'd have been the same way. We'd have been, we'd either been the one asking the question, or we'd been one of the ones saying, I'm glad he asked the question. Uh, so I believe all the disciples had the same lack of faith that day, uh, and that's the reason Philip asked him for, for all of us. Another thing about Philip, despite his lack of faith, we find that he was a strong witness for Christ. It wasn't like he was a faithless man that had accepted the call to follow Jesus and just went out and lived his life like usual. No, he was busy about the Father's business. We find in our next verse, back in John 1 and 45, it says, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So despite his seemingly lack of faith at times, he was, he was strongly believed in Jesus, knew who he was, knew he was the Messiah that had been promised, and he was a student of the scriptures. 
Now, he didn't have the New Testament, so he didn't have the luxury like we do of going and, and seeing the dumb things the disciples said. All he had was the, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the five, the five books of Moses, and he had the, the prophets, and he had the, the Psalms, and he had those books, the Old Testament. And so he remembers what it said in the books of Moses, the books also referred to as the book of law, because the books of Moses are contained law. But he, he tells Nathaniel, first of all, that's another sign there of his, his faith in Jesus. He goes out to find his friend and, and wants to introduce him to Jesus. We have found him, he says. We, what does he mean we? And why does he say we found him when Jesus is the one that found him? Again, it doesn't matter how it happened. It was God drawing Philip to Jesus. But he, he comes to Nathaniel and he says and you know to him, Hey, look, we found this uh, the uh, the one who Moses was talking about, and that's referring to the Messiah. And he's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Um, maybe they knew who Joseph was. Uh, maybe he's just calling that because that was common for, for someone. If you're going to explain who somebody is, you say whose son they are. Uh, I'll be the son of James. Test me. Uh, that was my dad's name. And so if anybody wanted to explain to somebody, well, who is that guy? Oh, that's Byron, the son of James Chesney. Oh, James Chesney. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, his boy. And But anyway, he's referring to Jesus as being the son of Joseph. We know that Joseph was his stepfather. Uh, he wasn't his, his birth father. The Holy Spirit was the birth father. God was the, the birth father. Uh, so uh, despite his, what some would call his, uninspiring ways. He was a spokesperson for Christ. He went out and found his friend and told him about it. And uh, when he talks about the, uh, the whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, it's obvious that he studied God's word and, and understood it. Like we said earlier, he's probably a disciple of John the Baptist as well, so he he's, knows what John is, is taught. But, uh, for example, in, uh, in the Old Testament, the, the, the law, the book of Moses... Genesis 3 and 15, that's the first mention that we see of this Messiah that's going to be sent. And while it may not say the word Messiah, we can, um, we can tell from, from rightly dividing the word of truth, that's whom it's referring to is Jesus Christ. Genesis 3 15, after the fall of man in the garden, Jesus or the, or the Bible says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, we all know that that's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, is who that's referring to. Uh, Genesis 49.10, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That's speaking, of course, about the Messiah, uh, or Christ. Deuteronomy 18.15, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. That is, again, another foretelling of the coming Messiah. And Jesus fits that description. And so when Philip tells Nathaniel, this is the one of whom Moses and the law spoke about, that's what he's talking about, passages like that. And then of the prophets, all the prophets have passages indicating about this one that's going to come. Isaiah 4 2 In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. 
Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. All of these scriptures, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon the kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So all of these, Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6, it, it speaks of the one to come. And behold, the dark days come, saith the Lord. I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And, and so Philip understood all these scriptures of Moses, of the prophets, and he tells Nathaniel, he says, this, this is the guy. This is one that's been speaking about. And he, his name is Jesus, and he's the son of, of Joseph. One last thing about Philip, um, and this is not in the Bible, by the way, so don't say, well, Brother Barnes showed that was in the Bible. No, uh, this is not in the Bible. This is historical information. Uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, I'm sure everyone here is familiar with that book. We've talked about it many times. This book has been compiled of all the martyrs of Christ throughout the, the history of Christianity. It, it begins there with uh, Stephen, of course, being that preaching deacon who was martyred for the cause of Christ, but then it, it starts listing the disciples and how they died. And in Philip's or in uh, Philip's case, in Fox's Book of Martyrs, he tells us this. He says he labored diligently in Upper Asia and suffered martyrdom of Hel uh, Helopolis in Phrygia. He was scourged, thrown into prison, and afterwards crucified in A.D. 54. So he would have been the second of the disciples who was martyred. James, we know, was martyred. The Bible speaks about when he was beheaded. So James would be the first disciple that was martyred for Christ. And then uh, Philip would be in the second one that would have been martyred, if this date is correct that Fox has in his book. Uh, so according to legend, listen to this. According to legend, after the resurrection of Christ, Philip is thought to have spread the gospel through Phrygia, which is what Fox said, or modern-day Turkey. Philip served as a dedicated apostle until about 54 A.D. when he was tortured and crucified by Phrygian Jews. Um, I read a lot of other historical um, uh, things about this. And there's, there's a, uh, a book or a letter. It's the letter of Peter to Philip. And in that, it's speaking of, of Peter calling Philip to come back with them as they're going to start a, a ministry or something. And he refused to go. Now, we... You know, this is not a, a, a canonical uh, book of the Bible, so we can't say it's fact. But uh, that's one thing out there, historical. Another is that while uh, Philip was preaching there in this area of Phrygia, he went into this place that was worshiping idols, and they had, I think it was a snake, some idol of a snake or something in the middle, and he destroyed it, and because of that, that's what got him arrested. Him and uh, uh, Nathaniel was with him and a couple of other people, I believe. And they say that when they went to crucify them, that uh, he pled for everybody to be released except himself and refused to be released. And in fact, requested to be crucified upside down like Peter was. And so uh, that's just, uh, you know, a legend or, 
you know, some kind of historical information about Philip. So we don't know that to be fact, but uh, interesting things. Um, I, I like to read a lot about history and things, and it kind of helps to kind of piece together someone from where you first understand them till till the day they die, what happened to them, what occurred. Um, so, in conclusion, was Philip perfect? No, he was not perfect. But neither were any other of the disciples. Philip wasn't the one that denied Christ like Peter did. Yeah, He didn't betray Christ like Judas did. So to say that Philip, there's no good thing about him, nothing great about him at all, or anything, that's just not true. I find he's a follower of Christ. He believed in the Messiah. He told others about Jesus. He was always there. He was always thinking, always trying to to organize. And so I find a lot of great things in him. You know, but you know what I like the best about it? Despite maybe having weak faith at times, what I can do is look at Philip and say, thank you, Lord, for telling me about that guy. You know, if everybody was perfect in the Bible, what would we do? We sit around and say, there, I just cannot achieve that. There is no way that I can be used by the Lord because I'm nothing like that guy. What if we were all compared to Joseph in the Old Testament? Ain't none of us going to reach that. Or Daniel. You know, who, who's going to achieve that? None of us. Now, we can be a, a Peter. We can be a Moses. We can be a Philip, though. Philip tried. Philip was there. Wasn't always the strongest, but uh, hey, it just goes to show that God can use anyone at any time to fulfill his purpose. So that means me. That means you. That means anyone, even the worst person that you know. God can still use them for his glory. And so I'm glad about that. So, Lord willing, we're going to pick back up in verse 46 in two weeks. Uh, we are going to be at Northside Baptist Church next Sunday preaching there. I believe that's, was that the fifth? Um, whatever it is, it's next Sunday. <laughs> and so next Sunday we'll be at Northside Baptist Church for both services. And I believe they start at 1045 in the morning and in the evening, 6 o'clock p.m. So come out, be with us. You'll have a great time. And uh, we'll, uh, Lord willing, pick back up in this study in the uh, sermon series in the book of John in two weeks. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning thanking you so much for the message. Lord, I pray that it's been helpful, and thank you so much for showing us the truth in your word. God, not shielding us from any of the flaws that any of the men had that followed you. And Lord, to have us understand that you can perform your will through us despite our shortcomings, despite our problems, and even despite our our lack of faith at times. And Lord, we know we have it. Lord, we're just praying that you help us, strengthen us, give us the faith that we need to to tell others about Jesus. And God, we just we need you to do it for us. We can't do it on our own. And Lord, we're praying for that individual or those individuals out there today that may be listening to this message. And God, they're lost. They've never trusted Jesus as their Savior. And Lord, we know that if they die, they're going to go to hell. And Lord, we don't want that. And we know that it's not your will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, Lord, we're praying that you will convict their hearts before it's too late. Lord, help us here at Porch Light Baptist Church. God, may we be a, a shining light in this world of darkness. Lord, may these messages go across this world and help others. 
And God, I pray that we'll always be in your in your will in doing things in your way and not ours. And Lord, we thank you so much for these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.